Good morning, everyone. And happy Father's Day. I have the delightful um, task of preaching on Father's Day and telling everyone how to be a good father when I'm a father and I know I have a lot of work to do. So, um, But good news is I'm not actually going to preach about earthly fathers, so I'm, I'm sort of off the hook. I don't have to try to, be, try to pretend to be an amazing father this morning because um, we're going to talk about our Heavenly Father who is the only perfect father and the one that um, the rest of us are just taking cues from and trying to father by the power that, uh, that he gives us. So, um, happy Father's Day. Today we're going to talk about our Heavenly Father, and we're going to do it from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. I'll just go ahead and read that um, as we get started. Before I do, though, I thought I would just share sort of what my goals are for sharing for my sermon this morning. Um, one is to follow up on Timothy's excellent teaching on the Trinity and just kind of expound a little bit on one aspect of the Father of the, the, the Heavenly Father. Um, uh, I also want to talk particularly about the Father who adopts, who takes children who have been separated from him, adopts them into his family, and makes them his own children. And those are what we call Christians. Um, we want to talk about God's heart for the fatherless a little bit. We just see it throughout Scripture that he is a father whose heart is aching for those who do not have a father. And he wants to draw them to himself so that he becomes their father. And he also wants to take people who don't have an earthly father and put them into families. And then finally, some, some of the motivation for that is to help us think about um, serving the fatherless and orphans in preparation for Gary and Virginia coming this week. And uh, much of their life is centered around that. So um, we'll, we'll talk on that, about that a little bit too. So with that preface... Um, I hope I'm able to communicate what I'm trying to communicate, and the Lord gives us all grace to hear what he wants us to hear this morning. So let's start by reading his word, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance. We have been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we get to look at your word this morning, sit under it, be nurtured by it. We thank you that you are a good and perfect father who loves us, who works all things for our good and who wants us to experience the life that you intended for us, which is in relationship with you. And we thank you that you intend that for others as well. 
And so, Lord, we just ask that you'd be glorified, that you'd open our hearts, and um, that you would have us hear what you would have us, what you want us to hear this morning. In your name, amen. Okay. Um, so, in chapter 1, verse 1, we see that it is written to the saints who are faithful in Ephesus. So, this whole um, first chapter, the context is believers. He's, he's writing to the believe Paul is writing to the believers in Ephesus. We see, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So we see the heavenly Father has blessed us in Christ um, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's a, that's a lot to say. That's a lot of things, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so um, he's saying that if you are a faithful believer in Christ, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. That's good news. Um, I think we all know that on some level, right? You say, yeah, I, I know that. But, um, but does that sink in? Like how often do you actually meditate about this? I know when I read that, I was convicted that that's not sort of how I go about my day-to-day life necessarily with that knowledge in mind. Um, and the blessings are, they're not temporal blessings. Um, they are spiritual blessings. They are all the things you can think of that are good, like salvation and security in Christ and hope and joy and belonging and um, no condemnation. That, that the Lord has blessed you as a believer with all those things and your Father has just lavished them on you. And he's done that for you because he loves you. And that's good news. That's something to hear on Father's Day, that you have a heavenly father that loves you and is for you and has saved you and has blessed you in every way that you would just love him and walk with him and do what he wants you to because he wants what's for your good. So why would we do anything else? Because we're, we're dumb. <laughs> we're like sheep, right? Um, we need the constant reminder. We need the Father to draw us back. But ultimately, how amazing is the gospel there? So um, how, how should that sort of that knowledge change your day? How should it change your life, just the way you approach things and the way you go about making decisions and, and, um, and how you live? So uh, the next section, um, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be homely and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Um, so again, we see that, he, that God is the Father, um, and that uh, we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. So we're getting straight into some deep water. <laughs> how, how does that work? He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be blameless and holy and he predestined us for adoption before the foundations of the world. He knew us and he chose us for adoption. Um, adoption being making us permanent members of his family, co-heirs with Christ, sons and daughters of the king uh, as if we were his own. Um, and he did that not in a state of, um, you know, not at a time when we were lovely. He did it when we were, I mean, he knew, he, he foreknew us. Um, and then 
We also know that before we became saved, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. So I want to read this briefly, um, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Um, it's long, but I figure it's hard to have too much scripture, right? I hope so. And if you think it is, let's talk after. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That spirit was in us. Among whom we, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, but God, it's one of the best phrases in the whole Bible, right? But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we see all these, you've got before the foundations of the world, you've got our former life, you've got where we're at now, saved in Christ, and then you have the future inheritance. So there are at least four levels going on there, right? And there is a lot of mystery around this. There's a lot of mystery around how, what does it mean that God predestined us before we'd done anything good or bad, but he expects us to be good, and he doesn't seem to predestine everyone, and that doesn't seem fair. And... Um, there is a lot of mystery, isn't there? This is a, a difficult concept theologically. It's a different passage, and we have to decide. Are we just going to believe it as it's written? Are we going to try to interpret it differently? Um, are we going to do something else? Are we going to ignore certain scriptures and favor others so that they're all cohesive and the mystery is resolved? You know, what do you do with passages that are hard to swallow and hard to understand? Um, first, I want to talk briefly about adoption. We were adopted in him. Why did God adopt us? Because aren't we all God's children? He made everybody. We're all God's children, right? We hear that expression. Um, but of course, through sin, we were separated from God. And it says we were objects of wrath, sons of disobedience. We, were, um, we had gone our own way. We had walked away because of sin. So sin caused separation. But God wants us back. That is why we need to be adopted. How are we adopted? It says that we're adopted, we have redemption through Christ's blood. So it's not just um, without consequence that we're able to be adopted back into the family of God. It's because of the blood of Christ sacrificed for our sins that the wrath of God was satisfied. And um, then by... It says, by grace you have been saved through faith. By our, by our faith in Christ, we receive the riches of Christ. And um, we are adopted through faith in Christ because of the blood of Jesus. So when are we adopted? Um, by grace you have been saved through faith. It's upon believing. It's upon believing in Christ and receiving salvation that we are adopted into the family of God and we become his sons and daughters. And so I thought about going to Romans 
nine and looking at he's, Timothy's laughing. Uh, just as a side note, going to Romans 9 and talking about Jacob and Esau and realize that was not a good idea because um, we, we could be there for a while. But still, the, the seed of that concept is the same one we read in Ephesians 2 and it's the same one we read in Ephesians 1. Jacob I loved and Esau I hated before either were born, before either had done anything good or bad so that God's purpose and election might stand. That doesn't sound fair. And Romans knows we were going to think that because the very next verse says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? Is God unjust? By no means. He says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. This is hard. This is a hard word. Um, And if you've ever wondered at the mystery of predestination and God's plan and adopting some some but not others, I'm going to solve that mystery for you right now. Can you believe that? If if you want to know, I'm going to solve the mystery. It'll no longer be mysterious. Um, It is a mystery. It is a mystery. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Isaiah 55 and Isaiah 64, he is the potter, we are the clay. Who are we as the pots to talk back to the, to the potter? So um, there is tension in scripture. That is a hard thing to, to, to fully wrap our minds around. But the question is, do you, do you believe the Bible? It, you know, it, it, if this is what it says, it's true. But it certainly is a mystery. So is that saying, oh, that's hard to reconcile. It's a mystery. Is that just an intellectual cop-out? Are we just saying, oh, it's too hard? Oh, it's a mystery. Don't worry about it. Don't ask hard questions. Certainly not. It's mysteries that we should continue to press into, but not mysteries that should unravel something. They shouldn't unravel our faith. They should strengthen our faith when we believe in, in the word of God. So is it, you know, an intellectual cop-out, or is it the end of knowledge and the beginning of faith? Where you come to something that you can't fully understand, but you can believe. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So the question is, do you trust God? Do you trust the Father? Is he good? Have you found him to be good? Does the Bible say he's good? By faith, have you you seen him to be good? A mystery does not negate God's goodness. So the mystery that some are saved and others are not sounds like a deep mystery. And that's a huge stumbling block for a lot of people. But a mystery does not negate God's goodness. And our little minds struggling to understand a mystery doesn't negate the truth of it. So I would just encourage you that we have to, I mean, if we're going to believe in God, if we're going to believe in his word, we have to just believe it and trust God, that he is good, that he understands. And um, ultimately, it's not our responsibility to understand the mind of God. It's our responsibility to stand before God and um, to put our, our faith in him and trust in him. Okay. Uh, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. There's that beautiful word, lavished. Um, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. 
So forgiveness, grace, redemption, we see the Father just lavishing us again with giving us all these things that we didn't deserve, we weren't seeking, we didn't even know about because we were dead. Um, And he planned them for us from way back when. A plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. We see that the Father is seeking to restore the broken world to himself. 11 to 14. In him we have obtained the inherit- an inheritance, having been predestined, there's that word, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So here we see we not only are all these other things true, but we get an inheritance um, as if we were the sons and daughters of God. We're co-heirs with Christ, who deserves an inheritance. Uh, we do not. It is something that is undeserved and yet still given. And then um, I love that in, in verse 14 uh, or 13, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. The seal of the Holy Spirit is the fruit of God at work in his children. That we see in each other the power of God at work through the fruit of the Spirit in each other's lives. And it's a beautiful thing. And it's, it's um, a great proof of, of God that he takes lives that, that are broken and he makes them on a path to be right, and ultimately, they will be made right. Um, so coming back to this idea of adoption, that we were not part of God's family, and he chose to make us part of his family. Um, I love the picture of actual adoption, like earthly, familial adoption, because it is such an amazing picture of the spiritual reality of salvation. You have a family and someone who's not part of that family but needs a family. And the family brings that person in and makes them a part of the family as if they always were. And that is what God does with us um, through salvation. It's the heart of a father lavishing love on his children. And we know that God's heart is for the fatherless to be loved. Um, we know his heart is for the, the fatherless because he saves us, he adopts us, and he gives us his heart that we can become part of that very same work in others. That's one of the amazing things about the gospel. God doesn't need us to help him, um, but he wants what's best for us, and what's best for us is clearly that we become part of his family and we become part of his work, that he draws us out of darkness into the light, that he takes our purposelessness and brokenness and gives us purpose and makes us whole not in and of ourselves, but through him, that he indwells us, he gives us his heart, and then we become tools of his work to restore the world to, to him. Um, and particularly, as we're going to talk about, to, to serve the fatherless, that that's God's heart. He gives us himself as a father, and he sends us out to serve others without fathers. We see this throughout scripture, Psalm 68 Father of fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary, those without a family, in a home. And he leads out the prisoners to prosperity. But the rebellious dwell in a parched land. Those who stand against him remain 
where they choose to be. Um, But those who turn to him are drawn in. Psalm 82, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. God is for the weak and the passed by. Isaiah 117, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Isaiah 117. And then we see in Matthew 9, this doesn't use the father language, but it's um, the sheep language. Uh, When he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. A sheep in the wild is just a tasty meal for something around here. It has no idea what to do or where to go. It needs a shepherd, and we are the same. And Jesus, when he saw the crowds of people, they were lost. They were, they were at the mercy of whoever wanted to do whatever to them, whatever philosophy or um, cultural uh, you know, agenda of the day drove them. They were just going to be harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then Jesus said to one of his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And um, not only were they supposed to pray to go out into the field, they were supposed to go out in the field. And you just see that God uses us, he uses his people to accomplish his purposes on earth of serving the least. We see also Jesus saying, um, Whatever you did for the least of these, my brethren, you did for me. The disciples are confused. When did we feed you or clothe you or visit you in prison? Or Whenever you did that to the least of these, you did it to me. And we see that that's God's heart. So God's heart is not only for those without an earthly father, but for those without a heavenly father as well. And he wants us to be about his business, loving with his love, acting from his heart, valuing what he values. And you don't have to be a father on Father's Day, you don't have to be a father for God to work through you to serve and defend the fatherless. Um, that is for all his people. In 2011, the Lord stirred Tom Keziah and Matt Turnbull, the two elders at Cornerstone at the time, to consider how Cornerstone could become more involved in the father's heart for the fatherless. And specifically, James 1.27 was a driver of that. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And that led to Tom and I taking a vision trip to Africa in 2012, where we met a lot of God's people, including a guy whose heart was all about loving the fatherless, and that guy's name was Garakai Masuka. Over the last decade, the Lord has used Gary and his wife Virginia to help us think about how to serve the fatherless. And by God's grace and their kindness, they've invited us in to partner with them in their ministry to the fatherless and to support them in ways great and small. And um, it's just been so amazing to see that God's heart supersedes culture, language, political boundaries, continents. Um, Those are virtually irrelevant. Culture manifests the beauty of God in different ways. Culture is a beautiful thing. But the thing that is manifesting in each of those cultures is the same. One of the illustrations I've heard is the idea of in heaven, we're all going to be making music together. And how much more beautiful is music if we're not all playing, you know, a clarinet? Clarinets are great, but they sound really good in an orchestra, you know? That, that 
that different cultures manifest the gospel in different ways so that they're making beautiful music and it all sounds different, but it's all the same. And that is the... That is how God works through culture. And so it's been such a blessing to get to connect with Gary and Virginia and see their heart for the fatherless. And they're not saints. I don't want to build them too much, build them up too much in their coming. Um, they wouldn't like that, and it's not fair, and it's not true. Um, but, um, well, and the glory of their love for the father, fatherless is not their glory. The things that the Lord has used them to accomplish in their lives is not their glory, it's the Lord's glory, and they'd be the first to say that. Um, but, you know, just like us, Jesus has paid for Gary and Virginia's sins, and he's adopted them into the family of God, and they're our brothers and sisters, and God's given them a local family in the form of a church, specifically Green Valley Church of the Nazarene, which Gary planted in the beautiful little community of God's people on the outskirts of Harare, Zimbabwe. And it serves as a beacon of light and hope and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church is named after the community of Green Valley, which is a, uh, officially an informal, which means illegal um, in their governmental terms, settlement. It's full of squatters who, with no better options, hastily built small homes out of soft bricks and mud on land that was determined unsuitable for development because it has extensive wetlands and drainage problems. There's no running water, there's no sewer, but people had nowhere else to live. And so they saw land that wasn't being used and they built on it. But the government could at any time, and in fact elsewhere with similar settlements they have, just given short notice to the entire community and leveled it with bulldozers. Just come in and say, we're, we're leveling it. Um, your homes are gone. You need to walk away with whatever you can carry and start somewhere else um, with whatever you can get out before the, before the deadline. So you can imagine the uncertainty that would create and the sort of sense of instability and temporalness that it would foster. And the neighborhood is not a wealthy neighborhood. It's full, even by Zimbabwean standards. Green Valley is on one side of the road. What's on the other side of the road? Glenwood? Glenwood is literally on the other side of this road that's a permanent establishment. So the homes are bigger, they're more solid, people actually have deeds. Green Valley is across the road and um, it's the people that can't afford a real house. They have one of these houses. And so because of that, the neighborhood's full of those that can't do any better, can't, can't provide for themselves. It's full of the poor, the sick, the orphaned, and the abused. These are some of the kids that live in Green Valley. Um, imagine being fatherless in a place like this. Trying to provide for yourself and often younger siblings, mom and dad aren't around, or maybe you live with a housebound grandparent that relies on you. Those are both very common stories. And you're scraping by, finding just enough food to eat hand to mouth and missing meals often. And without enough money to pay for basic school fees, you can't attend school because you can't afford it. So you're, that leaves you falling farther and farther behind your peers. There's no projection where life is going to get better. You're vulnerable to primarily men who would take advantage of your weakness to use it for all sorts of their own selfish purposes. There's no one to love you, to cover you, to provide for you. No future, no hope, and no peace. 
But then one day, you're invited to Green Valley Church of the Nazarene Transformation Center, where they offer... I googled how not to cry when public speaking this morning. It wasn't very helpful. Where they offer for free to feed you, educate you, love you, cover you, and here you hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which does so much more than just fill your belly and your mind, it fills your soul. And you now have a path forward in life. It's still hard, yes, but it's a life of hope, purpose, and joy. You're not alone after all. You are loved after all, and you have reason for hope, and you are part of a people. This is an earthly, physical picture of the glory of the spiritual reality of salvation and adoption into the family of God. The Father is not concerned only about our spiritual health, but he loves us holistically and wants to care for our whole persons. And it's this beauty, God working through his people to serve the least, that we've been able to observe and support through our relationship to Gary and Virginia. These are kids who have been made a part of something, a part of a people. They've found hope and love and truth. Um, They've been put on a course to um, be made a part of a people, a part of a family. And the change that that brings about is literally life-changing. These are kids that weren't in school, were hungry, had no one to turn to if they were being abused. Um, And these are all kids that now go to Green Valley Church five days a week and are given all these other things. So over the years, our church has been able to partner with and serve Green Valley. This Jay preaching, um, just being there to support them. Uh, Keith manhandling a pole. Uh, his legacy at Green Valley is, is massive, the things he's built. Um, Jordan teaching medical knowledge to help people take care of themselves. God is at work through his people there, and it's a blessing to be Um, it's a blessing to the people that actually do the serving, both for Green Valley and for us. It's a blessing and a joy and a wonder to observe what God has done through people. We have a good father. In Green Valley, fathers, especially loving fathers, can be few and far between, with many men having established patterns of abuse over the very ones God created them to serve and protect. This is not to say Green Valley has a corner on lacking fathers, And men abusing those God created them to serve and protect. Obviously, that's a universal sin born of the corruption of God's design. Sin takes what God has made to be beautiful and twists it into a grotesque, distorted, and evil version of itself. But through the process of sanctification, God restores his image to those he adopts. This is the community that Green Valley Church seeks to bring hope and light and peace to that comes from faith in Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins, the changing of hearts and minds by the power of the Holy Spirit, and the utter fullness and transformation that comes from having a perfect, loving, good father who has lavished every spiritual blessing on his adopted kids. He's taking what was broken and making it whole. And God is doing this in the face of the many challenges in Green Valley. But men are coming to church, 
The community is seeing the joy of the Lord and love between Christian brothers and sisters. Children are being educated, fed, loved, taught about Christ, connected to the church and God's people. People are being changed. And this is just one small facet of Gary and Virginia's life. They do much more from Virginia running the Samira sewing um, program to Gary being the Zimbabwean national director of Hands of Hope, which through local churches touches thousands of fatherless children literally every day in Zimbabwe. And I'm really excited for you to meet them and to hear for you to hear how God is at work through his people in Zimbabwe and to hear how good he is, even halfway around the world, because of course, he is the Heavenly Father and his love, goodness, and fatherliness extends to his whole world. I'm excited too for Gary and Virginia to get to meet you and see what God is doing here and what he has done in lives here and how good he is. And for all of us to be able to rejoice around the throne together and marvel at our Father. First uh, Peter 2, 9-12, through 12, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Listen to what the Father has done to us. A people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is what I want us to celebrate this Father's Day. Yes, we celebrate earthly fathers, but this Father's Day, or at least this morning, I'd love for us to celebrate our Heavenly Father, who breaks into the darkness of our lives and calls us out of it, pays for our sin, makes us a people together, gives us hope gives us himself and by his power and his power alone can any of us truly be fathers anyway champions of the fatherless all of us can do that by his power and we can all be the torch bearers of the gospel that he wants us to be that he saved us to be that he's drawing us into his work to give his love to the world and he gives us his heart and he gives us his love that we can work towards fathering the way he intended to his glory that we can work towards living as intended for his glory, and that when we fail, we can repent and be drawn near to him immediately. And through his Holy Spirit, he's imparted his own love for the fatherless into Gary and Virginia's hearts. And so the Heavenly Father, by the blood of Jesus and the changing power of the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, the one God, displays his power and the mystery in the depths of the wonder of his love for those who can do nothing for him. This is the goodness of God, a love for those who need it most, value placed on the broken, the downtrodden, the forgotten, the abused, sacrifice made to bring restoration to what was broken through the love of the Father, the sacrifice of the Son, and the power of the Spirit. As we saw, a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, things in Leavenworth and things in Green Valley. A plan to take people just like you and I were, without a father, without a family, without a future, without peace, without hope, dead in their own trespasses and sins with which we were powerless to pay for or escape from, 
and making us alive in Christ, granting us salvation and the restoration of all these things. I'm going to read that again as we think about what Christ has done in our lives and the, the people we know who are still in that same place. A plan to take people just like you and I were, without a father, without a family, without a future, without peace, without hope, dead in their own trespasses and sins, which they are powerless to pay for or escape from. And he wants to make them alive in Christ, granting salvation and the restoration of all these things. A perfect father, a loving family, a sure future, peace that surpasses understanding, a hope fixed on Christ, our salvation, sealed by the promised Holy Spirit, and all good gifts in the heavenly places from our precious, loving, powerful, good, kind, Heavenly Father. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. On this Father's Day, we celebrate that he is a good father. And if you've put your trust in him, he's your good father. Thank him. Hang out with him. And if you've not yet put your trust in him, he might be calling out to you. I hear he's adopting. Let's pray. Lord, you are such a good God. And Father, you are such a good Father that you have at great cost, at the greatest cost, pursued us when we weren't pursuing you. And you've shown us your love and you've given us life and hope and fullness that you intended for us. Lord, we praise you that you are in the business of restoration, that you are not above the weak, the humble, the broken, but they're the very people that you draw close to. Lord, may we be those people. May we put aside ourselves and take up the cross and follow you, that we can experience the life that you give the fullness of it, the depth of it, that we can be changed by it, that we can be filled with your love and made like you and made into the people that you want us to be, that we can turn and serve others, our coworkers, our family members, our neighbors, our friends, people that you bring into our lives, um, whether next door or around the world. We thank you that you are the God over all, that your purposes stand, that your will is beyond our ways, but it is good and it is better than what we can imagine. Lord, I pray you'd give us trust to believe you, to trust in you, to walk with you, to have confidence that your ways are better than ours and that we should walk in the ways that we understand and in the things that we don't understand that we could trust you and marvel at the mystery. Perhaps no greater mystery than that a perfect God would pursue broken people and pay for their sin and make them a part of his family and give them an inheritance and love them and walk with them. Lord, I just thank you for all these things. Pray that you would be glorified in it, that you would just continue to work in our hearts, that you would show us how good you are over and over, that you would remind us of all the ways you've blessed us over and over, that we could um, draw near to you, that you could draw near to us, that we could be a people for your own possession, set apart to proclaim your goodness to the broken world around us, that 
you could continue to take what is broken and fix it. Continue to take what was lost and draw it to yourself. And we pray that we would be available and eager and eyes open to see how you want us to be a part of that. In your name, amen.